evening and uh, welcome to uh, this evening conversation. So I'm very excited <laughs> to introduce you. If you do not know them already, Alex Drummond and Jill Cummins-Bell, who are going to be, be sharing their experiences, sharing their stories and sharing their knowledge this evening when we're looking at um, working with clients with specific low back pain. So for those that do not know these guys, I'm going to ask them to just tell you a little bit about their journey and what brings them to us tonight. How, you, how did you get here, Alex? And how did you get here, Jill? Before gentlemen. Oh, yeah, we'll go ladies before gentlemen. So uh, Jill, do you, okay. do you want to start? Hi, for those of you who haven't met, I'm Jill. Um, oh, how did I get here? I think age is probably the first uh, route I got here. I think the older you get and the longer you stay in the industry, the more things you do. Um, but I'm uh, a clinical exercise physiologist, so my base subject is all about exercise. So, um, so I studied, um, you know, many many years ago on exercise physiology and biochemistry, and then I did a lot of uh, studies on exercise intervention. Uh, sort of with weight management and, and that side of things. And then I started to study Pilates quite a few years ago, not as many years as Michael, I've got to say. Uh, <laughs> and in fact, I learned with Michael, so he's my hero. Um, and putting the two together uh, became for me a real light bulb moment. Uh, and I'm gonna share that light bulb moment with you. I'm gonna share where I came from with that and, and why I had that light bulb moment. And in terms of the Pilates therapy and the exercise therapy, bringing my clinical exercise physiologist hat with the Pilates hat uh, really, to me, opened up a genius pathway of how we can help and restore movement. So that's my journey. And this is Alex. So and I was told to be go. here. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a choice. He's waiting for his supper, so he has to sing for his supper. He gets no supper if he doesn't do well tonight. So you can vote at the end, supper or no supper. Right, we would okay, do that. No. <laughs> Please. I jumped in with the introductions. Let me tell you how we're going to work this tonight. Uh, obviously, you guys are all muted. Uh, but what I would like you to do is if you've got questions, um, please type them into the chat. And then at uh, suitable moments, we will answer uh, those questions. Um, if we unmute everybody, it will be a very noisy evening and uh, not pleasant. So as we get through the evening, as I say, any questions, don't forget, type it. And then when we get to it, we'll, we can ask those questions. So, um, so Alex. So I, I, I won't be um, answering anything funny now. So just, <laughs> just actually, just so you know, we are socially distancing. This is my wife. Yes. Okay, so, so, so we, we live we in not, the same house. We live in the same house. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm 20, 20 plus years um, as a, a sports physio and movement specialist. Uh, that's taken a form of many guises over those years and, and, and different thought processes to, to take me to the journey of where I am now. And I see, I see movement um, as, a, as an absolute essential piece of a physical rehab. So I can do stuff with my hands, I can manipulate, I can, I can massage, I can do release work, but actually there's only a certain amount of, of time we can spend doing that. And then the, the next bound comes getting to have a look at someone's movement, restoring movement by movement, um, whether that's mobility, flexibility, release work, and then adding all the, the skill-based work and, and strength, power, and, and, and that side at, at a later stage. Um, so, sorry, Michael, are you going to say something then? 
So, um, so for, for me, having the ability to cross-refer over to Pilates just means that actually I have a multidisciplinary team in my clinic that, where, that sets us all on the same bar, okay? And Jill, for me, is a specialist in, in her clinical Pilates. I'm a specialist in, in, in my specialisms. Um, and we all sit on a level. We, we, we don't look at and, and get orthopedic surgeons in and go, wow, Mr. Orthopedic Surgeon's coming in. We, we must bow down to, to that person. For me, we've got to raise our game so we all work at that same level. And, and it's really important for you guys to, to, to understand that. As, as physios, we can't do it all, okay? We, we like to try and think we can do it all. And so many people do try and do it all and, and, and fail miserably in a lot of times. So we must have this team that surrounds the individual person that comes to see you, that can facilitate it. A physio, a nutritionist, a GP, an orthopedic consultant, a Pilates teacher, a yoga teacher. I could carry on and we could, we could have this whole multidisciplinary team that we could call upon at any time that we need to facilitate the needs of that client. Okay, So that's kind of where I am now is that we have biomechanics, we have orthotics, we have camera analysis, we have force plate analysis, we have a functional gym, we have all the kit that we need to do it, and we have all of those people that can help facilitate that number one person, and, and that is the patient client that comes and walks through the door for our help. And so, so that's kind of where we are now. I have, I have a team that helps me to do that, and Jill's part of that team. Um, and, and so we have many people within the building that we have, but we also have many people on that second layer and that third layer that don't touch us in the building, but we can refer out to, and that's super important as well. So, so that's, that's me. So, you, so just for people again that don't know, you're, you have a clinic, your clinic is in where? In, in Maidenhead in, in Berkshire. Right, and you have just moved into a gorgeous new building. I got to see it just on the day before lockdown. Yes. <laughs> Um, and, and, but unfortunately, it, it's still not occupied um, and still not finished. But um, we're really excited about moving into that um, and, and being able to offer, um, again, what we did before, but in a, in a really fancy, swanky new location. Fantastic. So obviously, with today, what we're dealing with is a lot of postural issues, a lot of back problems coming from bad posture. Uh, you know, many times people come into a Pilates class complaining about back problems and sometimes it's undiagnosed. You know, can you give us a, a guide to what you would define as a back problem? I think the big thing that we've got to have a look at really is non-specific lower back pain induced by postural dysfunction, uh, aka from sitting. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and really, that's the, the big thing I'm going to have a look at today. And I might, I might snipe out when I'm doing the anatomy until I, I'll, I'll, I'll try and push my limits as far as I can. But I, I generally get a slap if I go too far off script. So, uh, but yeah, non-specific lower back pain. We're, we're not looking at prolapse disc. We're not looking at facet joints to start with. It's, it's that, why has this happened? What for me is, is the, 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 the global picture of that person walking through the door? I was going to say, I was going to add to, to Michael's question because um, what's becoming, there's been a massive change industry wise over the last few years, I think. We certainly feel that in the UK. I don't know those of you that are working in other countries whether you feel it. Um, but we used to have a, a program called GP referral where people were referred to exercise on prescription through GPs. 
And I actually think over the last probably five years, particularly, uh, Pilates has become its own exercise referral because people are getting referred to Pilates teachers uh, from various uh, primary medical practitioners. Um, and a lot of that is orientated around the back and, and lower back pain. And it's almost become, a, I'm sure you get in classes, people who have self-referred because they went to somebody and somebody said, oh, you need to go and do Pilates. But, but actually, um, you know, it's quite specialized. And, and so, and that's the journey that I think we need to look at is, well, if you get somebody like that, what do you do with them? So, um, so we could start off with that really and look at the back. The other thing was, you know, I get crazy about in a way is that, you know, the lifestyle when Joseph Pilates came up with this method was very different to the lifestyle we have now. So what we're dealing with is very different. I mean, Pilates hasn't changed and it never will change. It's the people coming to Pilates that makes us look at different ways and different avenues. Uh, yes. Um, and I think that's always the, the, the thing that we're, uh, not battling against, but fighting against really with the, with the method is to stay pure to the method as much as possible to the original goals of the method, but recognizing that we've got very different clients today than, uh, than what would Pilates would have seen. Yes, absolutely. And you know, my firm belief, Michael, is that the method is genius. Uh, and, and actually if you take your current knowledge and apply the method to it, I absolutely think there is genius behind it. Um, and for me, my light bulb moment, and I'll share later, isn't why all why we should teach Pilates, and it doesn't matter whether you're a Pilates teacher or you're not one, it's whether, why isn't all exercise taught like this? Why isn't mm. all movement taught like this? And that's the genius behind the method, which I'll share with you guys uh, later. Yeah, for me, it was, uh... For, for many classes that I've been to and seen, um, not, not massively as a participant, but, but just watching from the side, I see so many times, and it's starting to change now, and that's why I've got a bigger buy-in to Pilates now, is that I, I, I saw it just as, as body conditioning. Because so many times, people miss the concept of what Pilates is about. And, and, and if the true term of Pilates is applied, um, then we get a much, much bigger outcome from that. Uh, otherwise, people are just doing exercises, the 34, um, as, a, as, a, as, a, uh, as a, um, a body conditioning program. Do it properly, and the effects are amazing. And that's why I use that clinically now. And, and we're getting bigger and bigger um, on, on the Pilates side, on the clinical Pilates side. Um, and that's a one-to-one -one or small group. So we can really hone in and look to make some big lifestyle changes to, to, to the patients that come in with debilitating back pain. That can still be non-specific lower back pain, it can still be debilitating, or whether it's recovery from surgery, or whether it's a, a facet joint um, degeneration or some neural type, type problem. So for me, I, I have massive buy-in now, and, and, and that's changing how we went, how we, we've developed the clinic over, over the last, you know, not, not even a couple of years really. And, and we're put, I'm pushing, and, and it takes a lot for me to, to, be, to be talked around. And actually I wasn't talked around, I was shown around because I appreciated what it could do with what Jill could produce for me, for my patients. And that, that's, that's a, a nice important one for, for you guys to hear. It is, it's also, I'm smiling to myself because 
you know, what I've learned about Pilates over the years and going to New York and talk, talking to people actually work with them. The one thing I always find surprising is actually Pilates didn't himself like working with injured people. He would always give the injured people to other teachers. He liked to work with fit, healthy people. So I do find it quite strange that we look, but obviously we see the, the, the magic of the method today. But when people refer to, you know, Pilates in a clinical way, I'm thinking, I wonder if he'll turn in his grave because he always wanted just fit dancers. That's the bodies yeah. he wanted. So I think, you know, we've come a long way, shall we say, from those days now, and it is being used pretty much worldwide um, in most countries as a way of complementing some of the physio work that's going on. Our osteopath work, I know we've got Manuel, who's an osteopath this evening with us. Good evening, Manuel. And so, you know, I know we've got different practitioners with us. It's not just you know, physios, as I say, it's different practitioners. But for me, for me, if I take those 34 exercises, I can... Regress, regress it 10 times and progress it 10 times. And now I've got 20 times 34. I can't do my maths. Please, someone help me. Uh, but I've got a lot of exercises that I can, I, I can do. So, so uh, yeah, go on, that's it. 680, is that right? Uh, I can uh, tell you a, yeah. a funny story about the 34. Um, so having presented for many years with Michael and, and different people at conferences, I had a very good presenter friend of mine who came up to me and she went, Jill, you're not teaching that 34 shit anymore, are you? Excuse my language, guys. That's exactly what she said to me. And I kind of stepped back from it a little bit and, and thought about that. And I thought, actually, if that's all we think Pilates is, is 34 exercises, we're totally missing the genius of his method. Because actually his method is about restorative movement and getting people to move like dancers, if that's what you love. And there is so much genius in that restorative path that when you look at the dysfunctions that we have today uh, and the lifestyle that causes those dysfunctions, if you can apply that methodology to it, it's not the 34 that make it genius, it's the methodology. And then your world opens up because then movement itself becomes applied with those principles. And, and that's really where we are going for the future yeah so many i mean we say you know it's not just a set of movements people sometimes see it as a set of movements that you mm. should do but it's it's way beyond that it's way beyond that yeah your back Absolutely. and la the layers of this method you know the depth of it it is a method that you know yes there's movements involved but it's not really the movements that that makes it a method mm. yeah so non-specific lower back pain yes how can we learn about this? What is it? What, what should we be watching for? Well, as I was gonna say, should we kick off with the anatomy? Do you want to hand the hosting over and Alex will kick off with some anatomy and how we get to that point of non-specific lower back pain? I'm handing over to you now. You are now the host. Perfect. Look at that. Actually, that worked really well. Very smooth. <laughs> You're so smooth, Michael. Um, okay, we're going to share screen, guys. Ready? You connected? Like yeah. Okay. So, can I just have a thumbs up that we can see uh, a nice, nice skeleton, and he's and he's moving and giving it a little bit of a, a bit of a jig. A bit of a jig. Okay. So, so Friday night jig. We're we're happy with that. Okay. So, first off, when when we start to to, to look at the anatomy of the back we've got to incorporate the hips as well. And, and we gave a lecture last night on the hips specifically, and I, I, I couldn't talk about the hip without talking about the back. 
So actually, they're very much bound and linked. So when we look at the pelvis, um, we, we're looking at three key areas. We're looking at the, the lumbar spine, and we're looking at the two hip joints, okay? And any pelvic movement that we have sits off those three areas. And if we don't take into account the implications of those three areas in terms of their range of movement, then we're missing a trick, okay? We, I, I guess we've, we've only got an hour and a quarter left. So I, I can't say from there, um, we, we don't just look at the lumbar spine and the hips without then also considering the rest of the, um, the, the foundation of the, of the spine, as, as well as then looking then at what happens down in the feet as well. So for those podiatrists that may be, uh, those people that look at biomechanics from the feet up, we've got to look at what happens from the feet coming up as well. So just as a, a little bit of a sidetrack, I've just got an evil eye from Jill saying, where are you going and why are you looking at the feet? <laughs> yes. Okay, um, so what are we playing with in the back? Well, so some of the key things that we've got to start to have a look at, I'm just gonna throw some buzzwords out there to you of um, the sacroiliac joints. You might not have heard of those before. <clears throat> <It's>, <laughs> <yeah>. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. It's a very popular term. We need to understand what they're about, okay? And I'll, under, I'll, I'll give you my take on it. If, you, if anything that I'm saying you kind of disagree with, it's not a problem. I'm giving you something from a different angle. It doesn't mean that what I'm saying is right. It's right for me because I believe what I'm talking about. Um, but I'm giving it all from a, a, a different angle on that. So let me just have a give it a, a bit of a bigger, a bigger picture. So we'll look at the SI joints. We're looking at the facet joints. And we're just talk, going to talk about the lumbar spine today. We have left and right facet joints on those. Okay. And that, that's really important there. We've got to look at the shape of the hip socket. Okay. So I'm going to leave it there in terms of skeletal anatomy. Um, when, we, when we start to have a look at the angulation of the facet joint from a lateral view, um, and the facet joint, just to give you a reminder, is just here. Um, it's a small composed joint. There's, 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 a, there's a, a large range of movement for the size of, size of the joint, but it's there to block quite a lot of movement as well. Because ultimately what we're after is protection of um, the L3 vertebra, which is the central uh, loading spot through L3 where our center of gravity goes through in terms of the lumbar spine, okay? So we've got to protect that. So we have lumbar vertebra one, one and two above, and then, uh, I'm missing that, uh, sorry, four, correct, and, and five below, okay, and then and obviously four in the middle, uh, three in the middle. Gosh, I clearly need food already. Um, so we've got to protect the lumbar spine. So the facet joints do a good amount of protection with that by limiting the amount of rotation that we have in the lumbar spine to something quite minimal. So if we rotate the lumbar spine, the facet joints block each other quite quickly. So the cumulative ranges within the lumbar spine in rotation is quite minimal, okay? In the back of the, the, in, in the, in the, back of the spine, when we add loads of musculature on, we've got such a large amount of musculature coming in, in terms of the erector spinae. We bring in um, more into um, the, the, sorry, it, into the lats, and we create something Oh, sorry, apologies, let me just take that off. We create something in the back called the thoracolumbar fascia. I'm sure you've all heard of that. And the thoracolumbar fascia is all about 
Um, oh, just take that off again. Let's see a little bit more and add a little bit more on. It's all about stability of the lumbar spine, okay? So when we put all that musculature on and we think um, lower left glute works with upper right glute in here and, and lower right glute works with upper, uh, sorry, left lat, um, the abs come in from the side and, and create a, a, a nice blocking through there. A rectus spinae comes from the top and we've got all those angles of, of, of the glutes coming in and creating that thoracolumbar fascia. And we must have a, an, an even pull on the lats, the glutes, the abs, um, for that thoracolumbar fascia to be functioning well. Okay, um, let's, let's explore the lats just a little bit more. The lats go off the lumbar spine, sorry, the thoracic, lower half of the thoracic spine, the lumbar spine, and effectively off the, the medial third of the iliac crest, okay, the posterior medial. So the lats are coming through here and, and then heading off to the front of the shoulder itself, okay. So if we raise our arms up and we have dysfunctional lats, then ultimately we're creating tension into the lower back. And we're creating tension both sides if we raise both arms up or asymmetrical tension into the lower back if we raise just one arm up okay and that's going to distort and affect the the, the thoracolumbar fascia and the stability of the lumbar spine okay so let's have a look um at what else we're, we're getting within that so with, with when we when we stabilize the lumbar spine from the back fantastic not a problem. It's all got to be firing well. Let's take you round to the, to the front of the, the, the pelvis and start to have a look and see what we've got supporting the front. Like we have at the back, the deep intrinsic muscles, the multifidus, and then coming out to the layers of um, the, the erector spinae and then the big global mobilizers of the lats and the glutes and the abs and, and, um, and, and that side of it. The anterior spine doesn't have that. Okay, so when we add on the, the, the tissue, we see here the, if I just put all of that on, okay, the anterior longitudinal ligament. Okay, so that provides an awful lot of anterior stability to the, the lumbar spine. So we can see that from a lateral view um, and, and have it coming in through, um, through there. So outside of that, sitting in front, I don't think I can bring digestive in, I can bring digestive in, okay? There's a lot of gubbins happening inside of the, the tummy, okay? Underneath the abs, in front of the, the, the spine itself. When we start to put abdominal musculature on, okay? Um, I've, I've brought in now in, in psoas, so I'll, I'll take the digestive area out and, and bring psoas in. One thing I'd like to point out here is the interaction of psoas with the diaphragm, okay? So when, when we bring the uh, psoas left and right in and the diaphragm in and we take that off, what's really nice is having that ability to look at that whole system and see the, 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 the interaction between diaphragm psoas and then passing, which all of that then passes over the hip to produce a link down onto the greater trochanter, uh, lesser trochanter of the femur, sorry, okay, which is down in uh, this area down here, okay? So we've got a lot of deep 
intrinsic musculature, but not to the anterior side of, of, the, of the spine itself, okay? So it's all going from lateral um, or, or superior to the lumbar spine. We then add on and we start to bring in transverse abdominus, rex abdominus, internal and external oblique, okay? So all of that is containing the abdominal cavity and providing an anterior stability. Now we know from, uh, from, from our movement um, from our movement knowledge, that all the muscles combined produce a good outcome. If, if, the, if, if the, the muscles are producing the right, the right contraction and firing patterns. Um, we can classically look at um, lower cross syndrome where we start to get weaknesses, tightnesses, uh, lengthening and shortening of, 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 of different muscles. And, and lower cross typically is a, a weak abdominal, weak glute, tight lumbar spine, and tight hip flexor complex, okay? So if we can start to change the, the occurrence of what's happening in there, then um, we can start to create, create better stability. So, so for me, taking the anatomy and that whistle-stop tour of anatomy to then start to describe non-specific lower back pain is basically if, if that all of that musculature and I can I stop showing now if, if all of that musculature is um, not firing well and we start to get uh, an anterior tilting of the pelvis because the lumbar spine is too tight the the abdominals are insufficient the glutes are insufficient and hip flexors are tight we start to get a compaction of the facet joints we start to get um, stresses and loads through um, without any damage of the intervertebral discs and everything starts to tighten and, and start to change the, the feed of um, the, the neuromuscular feed into um, that whole area. So it could be lower back, it could be anterior hip, it could be lateral glute, posterior glute, it could be quadratus that is, is spasming every time just because it's trying to hold on to, to, to different different postures so there's, there's, there's quite a lot happening with um, when we start to change anatomy and I, I know Jill's looking at me saying why have I gone on to, to conditions but Michael did ask <laughs> yeah. about non-specific lower back pain but Jill's going to now ask me a question yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm not going to ask a question um, I will um, so in terms of um, some of the dysfunction um, when, you, when somebody's coming through physiotherapy, so they, they just arrive and they say they've got back pain and you've eliminated any uh, pathology, mm -hmm. um, what for you is the common weaknesses that you see in all that anatomy? I know you've just described a little bit of it, but what makes you then think about actually where do they need to go now and, and with that dysfunction? The, the, the biggest thing is understanding where, where, what's tight. And, you know, in, in the old days, we used to go, that's tight, let's stretch it. Um, and, and, and now my thinking is, is if it's tight, why is it tight? Yeah. And, and we've got to answer that, that question. And, 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 you know, the topic of fascia is, is, is bigger and bigger and bigger. The connective tissue that just goes absolutely everywhere within the body, from the sole of the foot to the scalp of the head. It, it's, it's, it's endemic, it's, it's there, it's all the time, and it's, a, it's linking everything together to produce an outcome. Um, 
So we've got to look at where the tightnesses are and ask ourselves, why is it tight? Is it tight because there's a problem there and, and a pathology within, within that particular muscle area or, or joint complex? Or is it tight because it's protecting something else? And more often than not now, we see that, 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 that tightness as a protection. And we've got to then explore, not the hamstring, but understand what the, the, the use and, and the, um, the role of the hamstring is. And, and when we look at the hamstring, the hamstring's primary movement is to flex the knee. But the hamstring's synergistic movement, a strong synergistic movement, is to extend the hip and stabilize the pelvis from anteriorly tilting. Okay, so if, if, it, if you get a, a weakness and an imbalance where you're going to an anterior tilt, the hamstrings are gonna try and tug it back and, and, and try and create a problem. So we've got to then understand why are we getting this, this anterior tilt and start to change the setup, not necessarily of the hamstring, but allow the hamstring to go, oh, thank Christ for that. Sorry, excuse me, shouldn't have said that. Um, thank goodness for that. Um, I can now let go of the hamstrings because you've sorted other things out. Your abs, are, your abs and your potential for, for postural control through the abdominals is better. The hip flexors are longer. The glutes are firing a bit better. The, the lumbar spine is more released. Um, and then there's and, the common things. And, and exactly that, yeah. 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 So, so can, I ask you a can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure, yeah. Michael. The typical thing is the client showing up in a Pilates class or in a Pilates studio and they've not been diagnosed, they've not been sent from a physio, but they're suffering from backache or non-specific low back pain. Do you think it's possible for Pilates teachers to be able to decide that or should you always refer out? No, I, I think there's a, a really good question, but I think, I think there's a point at saying, actually, as a Pilates teacher, what am I trained to do? What are my tools in my toolbox to be able to, 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 to look at these individuals in front of me and, and rather than individual, but individuals. Let's say we've got 10 in a class, 15 in a class, and, and say, actually, as a, as a group, what, what do I see as a common thread when the, these people keep on coming back to my classes? And, and, and a lot of the time is an, an inability to squat on, on, on the whole. Tight posterior chain, so dysfunctional lat, tight into lumbar spine, tight into deep glute and posterior hip, tight into hamstrings. Not all the time, but, but, but quite a lot of the time, unless it's nurtured out of us. Um, just can, ask, can I just ask you a question? Sorry. Just ask, sorry, just ask me that question again, Michael. Sorry. Someone... Yeah, because I've made you up. There's apparently some people waiting to come into the meeting, and I think because I'm not seeing them because I've made you the host. No, just admit them there. Admit all of Admit all of Just above at the top. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't realize that... I've given my function over, so they're being let in now. Because okay, oh we go. Sorry, continue. Keep on looking at that. Yeah. So just ask me that question again. When? I mean, when we've always said non-specific. You know, if you don't know what's going on, see a physio, and then the physio can tell us what to do. So refer out, and then and you guys are in a unique situation because you you're right there with each other. But many yeah. are on their own. You know, we're in fitness clubs, we're in Pilates studios. We don't have access to, and it's. You know, client comes in often, they don't want to be referred. You know, if it's just a, an ache or something, this is not critical. Uh, and I'm just wondering, can you, can there be a skill set that we get trained to recognize when to, when to refer? 
yeah, so so for, for me, um, I would look to see your skill set. You, you have the ability to mobilize. You have the ability to stretch. You have the ability to strengthen. If when you're looking at an individual, um, you apply the principles of mobility, increasing skill load when you increase mobility and apply some strength, don't get the changes that you're looking for. You've then got to go, actually, I've tried what I can do for you at this present time. Let's bring in someone else to help to make the change to the next level. And then you can come back and um, come back into class or concurrently do, do both together. So, so for me, and I know Jill's got an input on this, for me, it would be see what you can do over a, a short number of sessions, um, applying your basic skills uh, or even your advanced skills. Um, and if you don't get any changes of results, then refer out. And, and, and obviously that's, that's, that's a case of if someone comes in really hobbling saying my GP said I've got to come to Pilates and they can just about make it through the door, then yeah, you've got to hold your hands up and go actually side exit left and, and, and go and see Alex. Of course, I can, and I can give you a card for that. Yeah, I remember years ago, um, I was visiting Germany actually, and I came across this wellness center and they got a physio, a Pilates teacher and a dentist all working together. And so together they looked at the, at the clients or the patients, you know, that came in and worked out between them. And of course, that as a, this is Disneyland for me. This is, they've got everything in one room, uh, well, one building. Um, but it's, it is difficult when you are on your own to know when to refer. Um, and, you know, obviously we've always said you need to get your system set up, have somebody you refer to, let them know what you're doing, you, you need to know what they're doing, have that relationship and to pass back, backwards and forwards. Um, and, you know, it's difficult sometimes when, you know, you are on your own. And we do have people coming with non-specific back pain. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I was going to say, in terms of that question, from, from my experience of working in therapy, um, I think... Uh, and Alex kind of uh, raised that issue really in terms of our skill set. There are two things that I say are really quite important in that skill set. One is what I call your diagnostic eye. So you have to have a diagnostic eye in terms of movement. So although a, uh, a primary care practitioner uh, would be a diagnostician in terms of a condition, uh, we also have to develop this diagnostic eye in terms of movement itself. So when somebody presents in a class where they've just self-referred for something like uh, non-specific lower back pain and you, you develop your diagnostic eye around uh, their movement and then you have to have an analytical ability that says, well, OK, what am I seeing with my diagnostic eye and what possibly is, is going wrong looking at those strengths and those weaknesses and the fact that all movement is neural, so all movement is neural and understanding where your diagnostic eye is leading you in, in can you see what a correct uh, neural recruitment pattern should be in terms of activation of specific muscles? Can you analyze that and then come up with some exercises that assist that? And if you can do that, your increments of progression and improvement might be very small. But if you're getting them, you're heading in the right direction and you can probably continue. But if you, with your diagnostic eye and your analysis of, of what you see and what you give, 
you're trying that things and you're having no success and either things the pain is getting worse or there are specific things happening outside outside of the session you know when they get out of bed in the morning when they sleep when they sit in the car when they go to work if those things are regressing and i would say and i think the guideline you've always given me is within four maybe five sessions if i'm not seeing a an improvement no matter how small it is then I'm probably hitting the wrong thing. And therefore I would then refer out mm. to get that guidance on whether there is something else going on. And I think you operate the same principle, don't you? Even on therapy, if, if after four or five sessions, you're not getting improvement, you'll refer out to MRI or yeah. because you've got to look inside then there might be some other issue going on. So, so for me, it might not be a case of referring out. It might be just referring a question to me and yeah. saying, I've tried this, this and this. Um, and, and I've not really seen much change or it's shifted and, 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 and what can we consider doing? So, so for you guys out there that don't have any links with, with, with any other type of um, uh, physio, osteo, chiro or, or, or manual therapist, um, make, make a link, forge a relationship. It's really important to be able to pick up the phone or, or write an email to, uh, to ask them and say, look guys, I do it all the time with my orthopedic guys, my, my, my shoulder guy, my knee guy, my elbow guy, my back guy, and my ankle guy. I'll, I'll, I'll ping them a text while the patient's in there. And if they answer, they answer. If they don't, I'll, I'll get it later. And, but I, I, I don't mind asking questions because sometimes I don't know. Um, yeah, and, and asking someone else. Yeah, you so. can't see inside, so well, um, other, we're guessing. Yeah. Is today we have such a wide variety of things which are called Pilates. Um, <laughs> out there and from the health professionals as Glenn's mentioned you know he gets frustrated with people being sent you know just to Pilates you know without any kind of specific guidance as to what type of Pilates to look for and there is a lot of fusion stuff out there and there's a lot of group reformer classes going on where maybe it's not the best environment to walk into if you've been referred um, I think that's just uh, as Glenn was mentioning it gets frustrated by that that people are just mm. too Pilates, whatever that might be. Yes, we do. That's a, another battle, that isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, is is this a good point for me to share ha what happens when somebody's referred out, and that might help people understand that question? Um, yeah. Can we get a chat up because I think there's some questions in there. Uh, Michael's got the questions. He just asked you. Oh, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you really? Yeah, Michael's no. doing the questions. Oh, I thought you were just being clever, Michael, asking questions. Yeah, no, Michael's the questions as they come in uh, so, uh, okay because um sorry dominique what was the software you were just using oh so um that's called essential anatomy by a company called 3d4 medical um and, and and i think they have i think they're there for android and and um mac it's essentially yeah. anatomy five. Essential anatomy five. Uh, there is there is actually a, a more current version of that, but I like that one. It's 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 the least expensive. Uh, I, I don't know how much it is. Uh, about twenty pounds, I think. And but you can't uh, use it with clients, And I I'll, I'll bring my iPad. I have my iPad with me all of the time on the desk. And if I want my patient to understand the the, the mechanisms of what we're looking at and what's wrong with them, I'll get the iPad out and 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 layer up that that. Um, that skeleton and and show them what we're looking at and working on and, and there it's an education for them any patient that comes into me i want to educate them so they know more about themselves 
and can then look after themselves with a good toolbox of exercises and uh, um, abilities to take themselves out of any, any angry areas that they get into. So, so yeah, Essential Anatomy 5 from 3D4 Medical. Great. So in terms of um, non-specific lower back pain, there's a point at which, uh, as a clinical uh, exercise therapist, uh, whether that's Pilates or without Pilates, uh, that, that somebody gets referred to Pilates, whether it's self-referral, whether it's uh, referred by a practitioner. Um, and that's where then I start. There's, there's generally three questions that I always ask the practitioner. Um, and the first one is, uh, you know, if they are referred by a practitioner, of course, is the first one is, uh, what must I not do? So if they're referred, that's always my first question. And by that, it might be a very simple answer that says, oh, don't do rotation of the spine. Well, you know which exercises have that in, so don't do it. Then I'd say, what do you want me to work on? And quite often uh, in the description that Alex given you of non-specific low back pain, it'll be uh, neural engagement of the core, uh, neural activation of correct uh, movement patterns, uh, looking for lengthening through the posterior chain, stability through the pelvis, through the unstable areas of the body. So lots of things like that. And he'll just say to me, right, this is what you need to work on. And then my third question with a referring practitioner is always this, when do you want me to refer back? So, uh, and those, so you don't need to overly worry about working with a practitioner because we don't need to ask them very technical information because we're the experts in what we do and then the next stage from that I do and I'm going to share my screen again is that I do a clinical movement analysis so um, and now I talked about that diagnostic eye in the beginning and throughout this analysis there's two purposes for it for me one is to for me to see what the impact is of their condition on all sorts of movement and the second one is to get their buy-in, because when you start to put them through some of these movements, they almost have a light bulb movement because they can't believe they can't do some of them and that they don't have proper neural control of some of those movements. So it's a double-edged sword in terms of using this form. So I'm just going to share my screen again. And I'm going to put up the movement form. So I'm just going to briefly take you through some of these movements. And this is one of the things that we teach on, on the exercise therapy course. Michael and I are teaching exercise therapy together and on one of our courses for the reformer. And, and this is the sort of thing that we would teach somebody how to do. So um, the first movement that I do is something called the pelvic clock. And we get somebody to stand beautifully centered uh, in, in that center position. We try and put them into a good postural stand and they have to envisage themselves in the middle of the clock. And then they have to, uh, if you put your hands up as double loser like this, uh, they have to put their hands roughly where a heart rate monitor or bra strap would be and, and then you know, drop into good posture there. And there's no movement allowed above their hands. So there's no movement allowed above their hands. Because in a dysfunctional movement pattern, we're looking at something called microcontrol and compensatory movement. So if there is instability, lack of activation, poor microcontrol, within the first second of a movement, you'll get a compensatory movement of something else moving. So one of the things is about the pelvis being able to move through its range freely, or whether it has any restrictions or blocks to that movement. 
So um, we first get them, you know, very locked down into centering in, in this position, and they just have to posteriorly tilt uh, back to six o'clock, anteriorly tilt to 12 o'clock, and just get that pelvis moving. And then we will look at, at, is that good range of movement? Can they get a good posterior tilt? Can they get a good anterior tilt? And then we'll just put marks on here as to where they come. And you'll be really surprised how restricted people will possibly be in a range of movement. You might have somebody who's very lordotic, who uh, you, you know looks like they can go a, a long way back to six, but when they look at twelve, uh, that that's uh, you know much more restricted. Then we have the pelvic clock itself, and they have to still stay still above their hands, and they have to try and rotate round the pelvis and hit every number of the clock. They have to do it both ways. Now, guaranteed, there will be a restriction on hitting some of the numbers. When you look at me and I do it, I'm restricted between six and nine. And then it's having that diagnostic eye, working out what those restrictions are. Is it because um, they've got hip restrictions? Is it because they're restricted in, um, in the posterior chain? And so kind of working out what those restrictions are. And then you just kind of note them on here and you'll see the restriction is when you'll get the compensatory movement. So quite often, if somebody tries to go seven, eight, nine, they'll start to lean from above the arms one way while the pelvis goes another. Uh, and, and just looking at how that pelvis is moving into anterior tilt and what's happening at, at the hips. So you just note all that down. And I can guarantee that this one is what will show you quite some restrictions if uh, somebody has some lower back pain. Oops, sorry, too quick. I think this one waiting to come in. Um, where would they be? Go to the top of the screen and just get that drop down. You might need to, there you go, just look at participants. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I'm just letting somebody in. Well, they're a bit late. <laughs> Very, Very late. late but... I'm answering the door. <laughs> um, and then we move from there into spinal rotation. So effectively, we lock down the other half of the body, stay centered. And we start to look at the rotation through thoracic spine and we've got a left and right rotation and again we mark on here uh, where they can uh, reach in terms of thoracic. We, we, we make sure that it's the spine that's rotating and, and not that it's arm led and then we look at the whole body rotating from the foot and whether they can do that. Then we move down, sorry Michael, there's a question coming, when you say restricted do you mean they can't move? or the Yes, yeah, so effectively, when they try to do a movement, there's something opposing that movement. Right. Yeah. Or there's a compensatory movement and something else goes to allow them to do that movement. And that's, again, the thing that we, we can't often see properly in a class situation is that uh, there may be something else moves to allow them to do that movement. So by the time we look up, we think they can do that movement. But actually, if you lock certain parts down uh, you, and eliminate that compensation, they can't do the movement and therefore there's a, a block to that, uh, usually an opposing block. Yeah, at the beginning, do you correct alignment before you do this? Do you put, do you give them any corrective stance or do you see how they're doing without any corrective alignment? No, we, we do it literally to see how they're moving at this point. So we'll center them, but we don't do any kind of correction other than pointing out to them as you fill the form in, this is where you're restricted in this, this is what it's, it's likely to be, this is the sort of movement we'll do. And, and just so I'll show you very quickly at the bottom of the form, as I'm going through each 
tests. I've also got summary notes that I'll make at the bottom. So I'm often jumping from top to bottom. Something will come here and I'll think, actually, I know exactly what I need to do with that on the reformer, or I know exactly what I need to do with that on the mats. So then uh, the next test is what we call the toe tap series. And this is a lovely one. Um, and this is particularly now looking at what happens um, to compensatory movement when somebody's doing almost a single leg squat. So, uh, it, you know, what's happening at the hip? Is the hip falling out? Is there glute activation that's stabilizing? Are we getting a compensation either forward or back or sideways? What's happening to the knee? Can it drive over the second toe? Um, and looking at the balance, whether somebody, when they come onto the toe tap series, um, and literally it's a single leg squat, and we do a, a forward tap, a side tap, and a back tap. Uh, and it's all about what's happening on the stabilizing leg and what's happening in the rest of the body as compensation to allow them to do it. We then come on to another move that starts to look um, at whether they can bring the hip round and the leg round. Could you just demo the T-step? So if you go on to speak of you, uh, I'm going to stop sharing for a minute. You'll see Alex quite big. So you just put yourself, go to meeting and put yourself on speak of you and you'll see the boss. So um, I'm just going to drop the camera a wee bit so you can see him. So, so this is the sort of thing we mean with a T-step here. And we're trying to get the hip to come round with it, where he forms a T with his foot. And then we're going to look at the posterior spiral chain length because he's going to come round and drop down behind his knee and see if he can wrap that shoulder down behind his knee and whether he can do that. And you'll see restrictions if they're there. And the toe tap series. So just uh, so stabilize. And he's and what we're watching is what's happening on this leg, what's happening to his knee, what's happening to his big toe, uh, whether there's stability through the toes and the foot and ankle, what's happening to the hip, and whether there's any compensation going up. Uh, in the upper body. He's, he's being naughty now and just... No, I was just showing you different. <laughs> so that's what we generally find is, yeah. is so much medial drive or foot flare and so the knee goes forward so we've got good alignment of the knee apparently but when we look more we've got foot flare and dysfunction and a, and a, and a movement pattern error where we've got foot direction out, pronation at the foot and an increase in medial rotation of the leg giving that, that uh, movement inwards. So I'm going to come back. I'm going to share screen again. So, um, so all the time that you're doing those tests and you're looking for that restriction, you are, um, so that's the T-step and the toe-tap series. Um, all, all the time you're making notes on, on what, what you see going wrong. And, and as teachers and specialists, that will just be firing things in your head, thinking, I know what to work on there. I can see what's weak. I can see where there's no microcontrol. I can see where the neural activation is going wrong. I can see where that compensatory movement is happening. So then we move down to the hip opener, which is kind of reverse of the T-step. We're going to go the other way and we're going to open up the anterior uh, chain at the front and see what restrictions we have there. We're going to look at what happens to the hip and what happens to the foot. So literally you're just doing uh, a step the other way. And then we come into some familiar territory 
uh, for Pilates teachers, which is we then go into lying in a supine position. So we've kind of got a lot about what's going on on the body all the way down. We go to uh, A-frame neutral. So A-frame is just my word for having the legs bent and the feet on the floor. So you would just center your uh, client in that position. And the first thing that we're then looking at is, is hip knee toe alignment. Can they line up through the weight bearing joints or is there things falling out? Uh, you know, if the legs fall out and they've got weak adductors, uh, you, you know, can they actually line up? Now then can they get the pelvis into neutral in a supine position and hold it? Keep the pelvis in, in uh, neutral and then try to get that rib to pelvic connection, which uh, we talk about a lot and get the thoracic spine into neutral. Now, probably at this point, you start to see some compensatory movement come in and then you've got to try and get through cervical lengthening, which is what we call through the fourth arch in the head, where you get that length through the back of the spine and that chin tucked and you get cervical neutral. And then can they do all three of those and hold them at the same time? Or when they go into cervical neutral, uh, do you get uh, thoracic uh, popping into thoracic extension because they don't have enough length through that posterior chain to hold all four neutrals? And if they can do all four in combination, then can they laterally breathe in that position and still hold neutral? Because if we can't even laterally breathe in that position and hold neutral or, or breathe into the 360 dome, because remember the, the picture of the anatomy that Alex showed uh, in terms of the connection between diaphragm and iliopsoas and the connection through to pelvic floor and that whole core tube. So we're looking at whether they can do all, all those. Now, the common ones are that when they go into cervical lengthening, they'll usually pop through thoracic because we, we obviously are, are in poor posture quite a lot of the time, sitting at desks, driving a car. Then, if they're really good in that position, um, and if somebody's got lower back pain, um, you, if they're not very good in that position, and you will find that in lower back pain, one of the first things to newly deactivate is the uh, newer recruitment of the core stabilizers, which are local to the spine. So if those are deactivated and they're not supporting them in neutral, to then go into tabletop and start to drop the legs would just put the spine into a vulnerable position. So with lower back pain, I might stop the test there if I find weaknesses at that point. And it's having that diagnostic analytical eye again. Let's say they're really good. Uh, so we then go into tabletop. So they've still got to hold that one to four combination. They've got to have good alignment through the weight bearing joints. Uh, big toe has to remain grounded, toes long and equally spread, um, laterally breathing. Can they single leg lift into tabletop left, right? And can they right, left without any popping or release of that neural activation through those core stabilizers? And that's really quite an important test. If they fail at that point, I wouldn't then go into heel drops. If they're really good at that point, I'll then try movement into heel drops. So um, one of the important things uh, at that point is, is really understanding uh, the neural activation of the core stabilizers. So when we're looking at the core and we talk about neural activation, the core has uh, three unique properties. 
And, and this is where I think uh, the plot is methods with genius because although we call it centering of the unstable areas, it, it's really that neural activation. And the core has three unique properties. It should be able to co-activate all of the muscles in the local stabilizing core at the same time. So that's through from pelvic floor through to diaphragm, through iliopsoas, through internal oblique, through TBA, coming around the back, through QL, through multifidus, through the deep spinalis muscles running up the spine. So the brain has the ability to co-activate those muscles at the same time. It should be able to co-activate pelvic floor with TBA and so on. If they can't hold that full combination, you know you've got an issue with that co-activation. If, um, and it's that that can cause a lot of uh, lower back pain because they then can't control the pelvis. Uh, they've lack of pelvic stability and, and lack of lumbar spine stability that Alex talked about earlier. Then that's its first unique property. Its second unique property is it has to be able to co-activate on a forward neural loop which means it has to, your brain has to be able to go, I'm going to do a movement. Before I do that movement, I must co-activate the stabilizers. And then it must also be able to activate on a reverse feedback loop through the sensory nervous system. So if you move quickly, it, um, your brain should go, actually, the pelvis is moving, the, the, the core is moving, uh, the body's globally moving, I must stabilize those unstable areas through the center of the body and I must now activate those muscles. So those are its three unique properties. Its fourth unique property is that it has the ability to endure. So it, um, it, it should have the ability to endure all day, but of course through modern living, sitting, driving, uh, poor posture, it gets switched off, we, we lose that stability and we start to get lower back pain. Uh, and that's where it will manifest itself. So those two tests are quite big and they're very familiar. And I know those of you that come from a Pilates background who are listening today will be like, yeah, we get all of that. Uh, and you'll probably be seeing yourself what you could fantastically do with the method to uh, engage all of that. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more or answer any questions on that as we go forward. The last test that I do is a four-pointer test. So you'll go into four-pointer position uh, and you'll look at whether there's any scapular winging, um, showing some weaknesses um, through serratus anterior, pec minor, through, the, through that, and that ability to move the scapula around the rib cage uh, in its proper rhythm. And then we'll look at uh, flexion uh, into cat and extension into cow. There's quite, there's a unique way of looking at it. It's not as straightforward as cat and cow like you would do in a, a class. It, it, it's, you come into cat, you sit back an inch, you come into cat again to see whether you can take the flexion from thoracic into lumbar. And then you come down into cow. If somebody has lower back pain you might, and it's a facet uh, issue, you might just come into neutral. So these tests, we're making loads of notes as we do them, it takes me about half an hour to do the movement tests. Um, and it will give me an enormous amount of information about neural activation, neural control of movement, stability, and all the things that I might want to work on from a Pilates perspective. So I'm going to stop sharing my screen now. Great. So any questions so far? <laughs> um, 
no comments more than anything. Um, I mean, obviously, somebody's mentioned about giving clients things to do between the sessions. I mean, there was the program that you develop is obviously a, um, a progressive program. And I guess you do give homework to clients or exercises for clients to do. Yeah. I, I mean, when I talked about the genius of the method in the beginning, and I've, I've, I've looked at some of the faults, you know, particularly in neural activation of, of various things. One of the, uh, and you probably remember this, Michael, I used to really struggle getting my head around Pilates and why we did on the reformer things like eight exercises that were foot series and so on and so forth. And I remember bringing that home to Alex and kind of going, well, I don't really get why I'm doing this. You, you know, what, what's the point? And, and this is where I think the genius came in, is that by stimulating, uh, by using the limbs on something like a reformer, uh, or on, on that for that matter, and really using your diagnostic eye to keep that neural control through centering, using the limbs to stimulate it and really correcting it and making sure that the brain does activate it. And if it's not activating, that you break it, you, you kind of break the pattern and say, right, you and you've got to stop the person doing any compensatory movement, any dysfunctional movement pattern. So, so the exercises that you choose in the session will all be about teaching them the exercises they need to do at home. So the, so the session for therapy isn't a workout. The session for therapy is what you need them to do every day to correct that dysfunction. So you'll be starting off possibly very small with only two, maybe three exercises because you want them to do every day. They may still be doing workouts and going to classes, but this is about restoring something. So, so the whole session is about diagnosis, analysis, and teaching them how to reconnect that brain neurally with a, a functional movement pattern rather than a dysfunctional one. And therefore the homework is vital. And actually Alex is really cruel because he has a card system in the clinic and he makes people cry. So, but you have done occasionally. Once. A couple of times at least. Okay, twice. Yeah. So if you don't do your home exercises the first week, you will know because there'll be no improvement. We talked about the fact that, um, you know, if, if you're not getting anywhere, well, if they're not doing the exercises, you'll know because their technique won't be improving. There'll be no neural engagement improving. So the first thing they get is an amber card. Now, if you get an amber card, that's a warning. And they'll literally say, right, you're on an amber card now. And that's usually when we've had a couple of patients cry. I never go to amber. Go straight to yellow. Well, yellow's amber. Oh, is it? Is yeah. that not green? No. I'm colour blind. He's colour blind. He doesn't know what amber is. So they get a yellow card like a football player. So if they come back a second week and they still haven't done the exercises that they committed to, they get a red card and they no longer are allowed treatment. So, and the reason that we do that is for their goodness because a we don't want to take their money every week and charge them for something that we know at that point they are going to get no improvement because the improvement comes from the homework and changes in patterns so what we're looking for is that diagnostic eye to make change if they don't make change then you can take money off them every week but your your reputation will go downhill because you'll get no improvement 
So they get red carded and we've had people slam doors and go out. And then the next day they're back on the phone saying, you know, please take me back as a patient, aren't they? Yeah, more often than not, we've had probably two people that have never come back, which is for me is not a problem because actually we want to affect change to that individual. Yeah. And we can only do that with, uh, with the interaction of that individual. Can I just say something about homework as well? Yes, yes. Is that okay? So, yeah. so if, if we go homework every day, which I, I do a lot of the time, seven days a week, we take it on holiday with us if, if we can. If people need equipment and they go on holiday, we then change their program to make their ability to do the exercises nice and easy so we get that, that continuous movement. So let's say I give five exercises and each exercise has 20 repetitions. So that's five exercises, that's 100 exercises. Um, in one go, that's quite a big load, isn't it? I'm not saying that that's a bit of an example, um, but sometimes what I'll do, if someone's got the ability to do it, I might divide all those exercises up into segments through the day. Yeah, and you might, in the day, and, and three points yeah. in the day. Yeah which then means that we're not doing all the exercises in a single one hit and, and, and getting fatigue where we'll only get half of the exercises perhaps that are brilliant, 25% that are okay and 25% that are poor, that we'll get a fresh set of exercises done spread out through the day. Yeah. And the response on that, the effect of that is absolutely phenomenal yeah. because we're just telling the neural system that we need to make those changes on a more frequent basis. Okay, and it's not just the homework, because the homework is a rehearsal then for your day-to-day -day life and the activities of, of imposed demand that you place upon the body. So, so the activities are a rehearsal, and we must then apply some of the principles of what we do in our homework in between our homework, so we get a much bigger carryover again. Yeah, and, and so with the therapy reformer particularly, you know, in terms of uh, understanding how to do therapy on a reformer. If you're a reformer user and you understand Pilates on the reformer, then therapy, therapeutic restorative exercise on there is, is, is the next phase. But you can't be a therapist on the reformer if you don't also do therapy on mat because they don't have reformers at home. Mm. So the therapy homework is always mat. Unless you are, you know, the odd client has a reformer at home, you can give it on the reformer. So your knowledge of therapy on mat is equally as important as your knowledge of therapy on reformer. So let me just, um, I'm going to come back to that therapy reformer in a second, but there's a lot of belief out there that, um, how, what would you, how would you answer to the classical Pilates people out there that say you shouldn't change anything? Uh, whatever sport, whatever body, whatever problem you've got, if you just keep doing the, those Pilates movements the way that he intended, quote, uh, then you, your body will change. How would, I mean, your approach is exactly where I come from, but how, how would you handle that? And how would you qualify not doing the classical Pilates is what I'm really asking. Okay. Um, see, I, I think um, the method, which is classical, is that neural engagement. But the thing about all neural movement is it's a stored behavior. So a dysfunctional movement is a stored activation of muscles incorrectly, either in an incorrect pattern or in a compensatory pattern. So if you say to people, actually, it doesn't mind, it's like, well, practice makes perfect, but not if you're practicing the wrong thing. So in order to change a pattern, 
you must identify the incorrect movement and you must teach the brain that it stored it incorrectly. And, and an example I give teachers particularly is you must have been in classes when you give a coaching point till you're blue in the face and you think there's a couple of members in your class who ignore it. They don't ignore it, their brain thinks it's done it because it, the brain has stored the movement as that process. So you have to break that neural connection and teach the brain that actually it's stored it incorrectly and it has to re-challenge it. And, and the example I give clients is if you look at a baby learning to walk, when they first learn to walk, they walk with a three point hold. And then through sensory information and through correction, they start to walk properly. You look at the older generation, when we start to lose things because we don't use them, we reverse and, and it goes back to that poor uh, gait pattern. So if we allow somebody to continually to do something incorrectly, then it doesn't matter what you do in therapy, it won't make a change in everyday life. So you have to break it. And the other analogy I give people, and I'm sure you've done this is, and we do this quite a lot. I'll be driving to work with Alex and I'll say, oh, they've painted their door green. And he'll go, it's been green two years. And I'll go, no, it's only just gone green. Because everything that we store in our brain, we store functionally for us. So if it's become functional for me to, before I lift my arm, because I had an injury at one point or a restriction, I lifted my shoulder and then lifted my arm. Every time I go to lift my arm, my brain will lift my shoulder first and then my arm. If I go to lift, uh, to reach a glass off a table and instead of just reaching my arm, I first go in with my back and lean and then lift the glass, my brain will always do that newly every time. So you have to break that pattern to remake that pattern and teach the body how to do it. And I think there's only one, uh, other than uh, therapists who do that all the time, in terms of the exercise industry, that's where um, I think Pilates therapy really sits. And I think at the beginning, when I said we are the exercise referral of the future, there is such a big recognition now for that because we can restore movement patterns. So I'm sure that people out there tonight are listening and, you know, we asked, actually finished, we asked John Sharkey, how would you motivate people to go on and learn more about the body? Um, he recommended to, to go to the classical anatomy first, to look on where it all started. What would be your advice to motivate people to, to expand their knowledge, expand their knowledge about the body, expand their work towards being a, cl a clinical therapist? I, I think anatomy is our bread and butter. Uh, and uh, we've always said that everybody should be, no matter who you are in the exercise field, you should be studying anatomy four to five hours a week, every week. Uh, you should then be applying that anatomy to your movement. So um, uh, to your movement knowledge, your classes. So then what I do is I might study a particular area of anatomy. So it might be neural engagement. It might be shoulder. It might be spine today. Then I look at what I'm teaching this week or what therapy clients I got in. And then I try to challenge myself by really understanding and, and seeing that anatomy as if you can see inside somebody. Can I see that anatomy? I'm working on it that way. Uh, and I absolutely think training in therapy is probably the thing that changed my teaching most. I, I think training as a, in therapy, I think, was the biggest thing because you start to really understand the power that you have in movement correction. 
And, and a, a lot of that comes from um, looking at somebody, but seeing what you're looking at. The and, diagnostic and the eye. The diagnostic eye, mm. and uh, taking that to the next level and saying, so what? What have I just seen? What are the implications of what I've just seen? What do I need to look at now or do now? So that's kind of a, a biggie, a biggie really. And, and the, the way you can develop that is just ask yourself questions all of the time. Stress, stress yourself through a situation up in here whilst you're seeing someone move and start to look at, um, look at and, and ask those questions um, of, you know, what do I need to do next? And if you can't understand what you need to do next, then what we're going to have a look at is, is build a little team around us. So we're quite fortunate. We've got a clinical team and, and once a week we get together for 45 minutes and we talk about what we've done in the week and any problems we've, we've had in the week or anything we've learned in the week that we want to share. And, and that's great because, you know, there's plenty of Pilates people about and don't be individualistic in the way you approach stuff. Speak to people, get into a little huddle. And, and, and for me, that's absolutely crucial to be able to just go and chat to people about seeing something. Because if, if I think I've got the full concept of, of, of something, um, and I'm working with it and I'm really happy with it. The results are fantastic. It just takes one statement for someone to say something slightly different that I go, oh, no, look, there's another way of doing it. I've, I've now got two routes to do something. I, I need to explore this one again now or, or a bit more now and, and understand why that works and why I haven't looked at that before. So, so talking to people is, 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 is key in different disciplines as well because it gives you a, look, a different look from, from, from different places. Yeah, and we're so lucky, we talk like this over dinner every night. <laughs> I think Margaret and I, yeah, you can imagine chatter. like really yeah. boring dinner parties if you're invited to our house. <laughs> you know. Listen, there's people are sharing, I mean, obviously Jane's sharing stories that you know, she had to relearn uh, from personal experience, she had to relearn to walk after a knee operation. Uh, there's a question from Melissa, what would be your top three mat-based pre-rehab pre exercises for back pain. Um, I'm guessing the 100, base 100 might be suggested as one. For back pain, uh, I would say, uh, I, I, I do the 100, but it's loaded. So it, it depends which end of pain uh, that you're at. So lying, so there's an exercise that we teach on therapy where you're lying in tabletop neutral, yeah? And you put your pointing fingers onto your kneecaps and you have to posteriorly pelvic tilt and let your knees come towards you. And then you anteriorly pelvic tilt, let your knees go as far away from you as you can with your fingers still on them. So your fingers are the guide for distance. And then you've got to try and get the pelvis and you're, you've got to diagnose that it's not the legs moving first, it's the pelvis. So lying tabletop, so what I call the, uh, the finger pelvic tilt is one. The other is uh, cat cow, but the one where you sit back and try and bring it into lumbar. Mm -hmm. And then a uh, single leg stretch with some resistance on it, which kind of resets the SI joint. So you have to put uh, a pathology resistance on it. So those would be my top three, where you um, put your hands on and resist the single leg stretch and you have to switch it. And then you put the squeeze in the middle to uh, engage, a uh, bring the legs in and squeeze on a ductor. It's hard to show you without um, Alex, doing it, but, but that, that's the exercise therapy. Let me do bit. it. Yeah, let me. Um, yeah. So. Not all of the, not the hard ones, just, just that squeeze one. 
Yeah. So, so sort of squeeze on. So, so uh, lie sideways for me. Okay. So lie sideways, going to tabletop, pointing thing. Can you see him? Yes. Yeah. He's in our bike room. And he's going to pelvic tilt. And what you can try and diagnose is, um, firstly, he needs his head on a block, because you can see instantly that he's too tight down the back. So before he does anything, I'm just going to block him. So that was really me. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. Um, okay, so he's got to try and use his pelvis and not his legs. And it's only very tiny movement. So you've got to, you know, use your Pilates teaching principles. I'm not going to teach you those now. So use your Pilates breath work and everything to bring it in. He's only allowed to take the legs as far away as his fingers will allow. And then he's got to try and anteriorly pelvic tilt. And, and you're trying to get the brain to say, is it my pelvis moving or my legs moving? Uh, and teaching the brain to do that. So that's one of them that is really, if somebody's actually in back pain, that eases it off quite a lot. Flicking, all oh right, so can you do the, the block on the legs? So, so um, yeah. So this is a, a version of single leg stretch, but with a block. So one leg's gonna come in, but he's gonna block it. The other leg's gonna go out and he's gonna block it. So it creates a torque onto SI. So he blocks it and then switches the block and then he squeezes, which he brings SI like that way. So, and you do that about five times and that will take some of the stress out of SI. And then cat cow, let me just show you cat cow. Um, so now for this, I get hands on. Oh, so, this is it hard? Yeah, no. So I'm gonna rely that you know setup. I'm not teaching setup now. So he's, he's getting into his neutral. So, so he's into neutral, okay? And I just put a finger under his rib and I hold here. So let them get some breath control, you, you know, do all your breathing techniques. So inhale, come up into cat. Okay, sit back an inch, come up again. Now you can see we get very little into lumbar. Go down into cow, cat, cow, 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 and come back up to neutral. Come back forward into your arms to your starting position. Inhale up into cat, sit back an inch, up again. Now see how we're getting more into lumbar and then down again into cow. We do this three times. So come up to neutral, come forward to the starting position. Now inhale up into cat, sit back an inch, up again. And now we're getting a nice tuck on, can you see how the pelvis, each time you do it, you'll get more coming here where the first time he only got here. Fabulous. Um, demonstrated there's been I mean people are making comments uh, here from Nikki she recently trained on a device resistance and super suspension in one four different resistances ko8 is called the striking thing for me was the ability to do Pilates movements using it I found it particularly helpful to with me with two new hips but can see it will help me with my older and injured clients excellent yeah really good work um, uh, frustration again, getting people to do correct referrals, sending people to the, uh, the correct Pilates is obviously uh, frustrating on that side. Um, Actually, can I say something about that, Michael? Because um, in the industry in the UK, I don't know whether it's the same in other countries, but we're not allowed to use as exercise teachers the word rehabilitation. Um, but yet the public understand what rehabilitation is um, because that's uh, got right of title from the CSP into therapy. So only primary care practitioners in, in, in the CSP can use the word rehabilitation specialists. 
uh, or people who've been trained at that level. So when, um, when we developed the Pilates therapy course, uh, because we really saw a big need for it, because as you were saying about, well, what type of Pilates teacher do you send them to? Uh, and therapy can, therapy can be class-based. It doesn't need to be on a one-to-one. -one. You can do both. You can do back classes. You can do things, but you become a therapist. So the word therapy was the word that we chose because we weren't allowed to use rehabilitation, but the public understand that therapy means help. So, um, so in terms of who you send them to, I think the more you develop your own title as a movement specialist within Pilates, and Pilates therapy or exercise therapy if you're not Pilates based, you know, because you don't necessarily need to be a Pilates teacher to do the exercise therapy base, then I think the public and the medical profession will get to know who to send somebody to who has a problem. Because that sheer word therapy, you can all use if you are a therapy trained specialist. So we've always said- Does that help, Michael? We said that um, you have to know Pilates. Oh, I can't hear Michael. Have you lost me? Sorry, Michael, I didn't hear you then. Oh, sorry, let me see, I'm not, no. Uh, I say, we've always said you need to know Pilates with a healthy body before you start working in, in the post rehab or the therapy uh, way. Would you agree with that, that you need to know your Pilates first before you can then use your Pilates in this specific? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, because although I showed some exercises that were specifically to the acute end of pain you're going to improve and build on that and if you don't know where you're going because you don't understand your classical um, then you wouldn't be able to go there so when we are looking at a program uh, in, in therapy we look at stability balance and control and all the exercises first need to do that then um, so you uh, stability balance control mobility and then you load so you never load until you've done all of those things or somebody has all of those things. So if you don't know how to do some of the classical Pilates exercises, you'll miss out on the loading. And the loading is where the big improvements of flexibility, once you've built all that stability, control, balance and mobility in, back in. There's a question from Patricia. Uh, can we say rehabilitative exercises when describing the specific work we do? Yes. You'll get, we can say yes. 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 Rehabilitative exercises or restorative exercises are the two words I use. I love that word, restorative. It's fantastic. Uh, what have we got? We've got Pace one, Jane's, uh, Glenn, uh, talking about therapy as sports therapy or question mark? Yes. So sports therapy, uh, they would have their own techniques. Uh, they would have probably massage in their background. They'd have on different uh, manipulations. They'd be very much similar to possibly uh, to using some of the techniques that um, things like, because um, there's another trade, Glenn, called sports rehabilitative trainers. And they're very much the physios, uh, similar to physios, but only on the sports side. So they'll all have their techniques, um, but we are exercise therapists. So Pilates, if you're Pilates trained, yoga therapist, if you're yoga trained and you've done the therapy, if you're PT and you've done therapy training, you're exercise therapy based. And I think there is definite movement here now towards exercise therapy. I know from my perspective, if 15 of you lived by our clinic, Alex could fill your diary on a daily basis. Dusty. 
We're moving. Mm. moving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because because uh, literally, my problem is I don't have enough time to do the work for you, and then we have to get the other therapists in, and there's not enough therapists who have trained in therapy with that diagnostic eye it's all about the eye really i think isn't it what you see and what you can do about it yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah it's a, it's a, you, oh sorry yes there's been some there's been some um, you hear me okay are you absolutely fine yeah sorry yeah i just had siri talking to me sorry we ask a question siri answers <laughs> so there was um Globally, there's a big movement. Uh, it happened in Australia. It's happened in Brazil, where they're trying to limit the only people who can teach Pilates are physios. What would you answer to that one? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of disagree, really. Um, but, I, but I think there's a, there's a point. What are you laughing at? I'm laughing at that statement. Imagine if I had to teach Pilates. Well, you could, you could though. I'm sure. I could do. No, absolutely. So, so my, my view on that is is absolute rubbish. Um, and and I think that's that's physios really trying to hold and corner a market, because there's plenty of there's plenty of non physios out there that actually do a better job than a lot of physios in physiotherapy. Um, and 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 so no, I, I I totally disagree. But what I would say is that a lot of people working in Pilates in order to work at the same level in terms of knowledge of, of a physio will have to upscale in terms of their anatomy and their understanding of movement. Yeah. And so it's not just applying the 34 moves and, and derivatives of that, but it's about looking at the bigger picture um, and, and, and just looking to see how they can develop themselves in the, the diagnostic eye, the ability to look and see further down uh, the ability to up upgrade the anatomy, the ability to turn what they see in assessment to something that is really quite specific and on point to uh, creating these, these changes. So it's not just a case that we're doing a class, as in back rehab class. Actually, we've got to be thinking a little bit deeper than that. And, and, and over here, um, a, G a GP, actually, more and more now, it's like, here's a... Here's a a card and that says Pilates on it. Go and do Pilates, you've got back pain. And, and so I, I kind of understand a, a little bit about what they're saying is that a lot of people out there wouldn't know what to do uh, and, and be comfortable dealing with a lot of the people that are getting pushed their way. Um, but let's upskill you guys. Let, let's take it to the next level. Let's bring, if you need it, let's bring you up to a level where you're comfortable dealing with the majority of um, people with uh, day-to-day -day chronic dysfunctional movement induced back pain, non-specific lower back pain. Well, Glenn doesn't want to go off piste, but he, what extent is a therapist in the sense that you're describing, Jill, different from a physiotherapist? Uh, because I'm, well, it's an interesting question actually, and it ties in with the question you just asked. It, it, physiotherapy degrees in this country only do one module on exercise, which is a five week module in the whole of their three year degree. The, the physiotherapists in this country who are good at exercise have learned their exercise by training on other courses like Pilates or PT or um, any other exercise course. And in our years of recruiting physiotherapists for our clinic, the ones that are exercise trained have received that training outside of their physiotherapy degree. So when you look at that, that ability to exercise therapy, 
they've got that from the same training that we have had. So we shouldn't be frightened of putting ourselves on that same training and saying, well, actually, we are also exercise therapists, yes. if that makes sense. Would mm, you agree? Yeah, without using the term exercise therapist. Yeah. <laughs> well, Pilates, exercise therapist. Yeah, yeah. exercise yeah. as a therapy. As exercise as a therapy. Um, I'm going to be quite careful. I, I, I don't mind. You can call yourself what you like, mm. but it's the, the, the kind of higher echelons of going, wow, you can't use that, that, that term. And, 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 and there kind of lies the problem. And that then becomes quite divisive you know, with all of that. But uh, if you look at a lot of physio, uh, physio clinics now, they, they, a lot of them offer physio, uh, sorry, Pilates with, within that. Yeah. And it's not always um, by, by a physio. It is a lot now because it's another income stream for a physio. Um, mm. but, uh, but they go on to a Pilates course to learn how to do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. yeah, they, yeah, They do the same training that we do to do that. So, um, so we've got a couple of minutes. Um, we've obviously been working on the therapy reformer course for people who've already trained on reformer. I'm looking at the list of people. We've got Sandy, we've got Luda, we've got lots of people already working with their reformers up there. Um, you've got your uh, therapy. Uh, yes, Sandy, I did say you um, waited for the assessment. Um, we've got also, uh, <laughs> we've also got people who have been teaching Pilates mat work out there for a lot. You know, moving forward, if that's the side, I always say for me, some people don't want to move this direction. Some people do want to move this direction because they recognize it is a big market. You know, um, it's, a, it's a very solid market. There's always people walking through the door. You offer your therapy course, both in Matt and Reformer. I know that on the Reformer because we were about to do the first one with you and we got, went into lockdown. So it's been, we can't wait to, uh, to get that started again as soon as we can release from our lockdown. Um, it's an intense course, both of them, I know. It's a lot of anatomy. It's a lot of um, work to get there, but it's well worth it because you come out having a deeper understanding of, of how to handle different clients. Yeah, and I think that's the comfort. You're, you're happy handling yourself and working in that world when you've had the training to do so. You feel confident. Because as we all know, we're confident when we know what we're doing. That's where our confidence comes from. You know, particularly as adults, we very rarely like stepping out of our comfort zone. But if we're confident because we've been trained, I think that's a good thing. So if people want more information on that side, they can contact you at Drummond Edge. You or you, you or me. Yeah, or you would put the link in there. Yeah. But no, listen, guys, it's been, we're out of time. It's your dinner time, actually, Alex, is what we, I'm worried about, is that, you know, who will Alex become if we don't get those burgers? Yeah, Mr. Angry. Yeah. Your, your camper van outside again tonight? Are you having a date night in the camper van? Yeah, date night in the camper van and a glass of wine. <laughs> so, yeah. Listen, it's, thank you so much for giving your time. and oh, Thank you for having us. And having a conversation, which I've loved this evening um, about this. Um, and, um, and as I say, I hope you have a great weekend. It's bank holiday, guys. I'm back teaching bar on Monday morning. Yay. So Alex, get your ass into, oh, get your bottom, get your derriere into my bar Monday morning is at 10 o'clock. Um, it's quite gentle. It won't be too, um, uh, too. I, I start clinic at 10, I'm sorry. Time, <laughs> okay. we'll move the bar class so you can come to it. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, guys, thank you so much for joining us. As I say, you will get this video in your MK account, which is why we talk to you to go into that account so you can just log in and see it when it's edited. 
Uh, we have a whole schedule next week, which you will get the newsletter for that. Next week, we've got some very exciting things coming up. Um, thank you again, everybody, and we'll see you all soon. Okay. Thank you. Hey guys, take care. Bye bye. Okay. Thanks, guys. <laughs>